apparently chronic illness is a thing that you guys like and not mental health. And I wanted to at least get one more podcast in, one more episode into you before 2021 and end this on a really good note because um, 2020 has not been a good year for any of us. It's been a rough, real rough. And uh, hopefully 2021 is better. Um, so far, my year has been ending with this random bout of stomach cramps. And I can't, for the life of me, figure out what is going on. But in between this that happening, I had an allergic reaction. Then I had an asthma exacerbation. And then I got a steroid injection. And I think... And my mind getting the steroid shots, like maybe in some way it'll help whatever is happening in my gut. Um, but I, um, I just didn't like this sudden um, pain that I would be in. Um, my heating pad's been my best friend, and um. As, well, like, people, like I just ate a strawberry, a strawberry cookie, and it was really good, and I can't help myself, but they kind of cost me stomach cramps, and you're like, why would you do that to yourself? Well, because they're really good, and sometimes it's like, you know what, you go through, like, like I have earned this cookie, um, but that, uh, I did figure out, part of it, I think, is that we used white chocolate chips in it, and the brand that we used, the Nestle brand, um, has milk in it, and I'm lactose intolerant to a point, um, it comes with the gastroparesis, so I think I had some kind of lactose intolerance my whole life, but it was mild where I could kind of get away pretty much with eating dairy, but I think then it showed up in my skin because I had really, really bad acne, um, and I went through a period where it just, it cleared up. I, I mean, I, I was seeing a dermatologist and I was doing the prescription stuff and my skin did not like it. Um, and I feel like maybe my first symptom of GI stuff was my skin just getting real cystic acne, um, just breaking out everywhere. I didn't wear makeup. Um, I knew that there was hormone issues since I was 11, like my first ever diagnosis with growth hormone deficiency. Um, and, oh, that was a whole thing, a whole thing and a half. And if it was my mom, bless her. Um, if it wasn't for her, um, I would be four foot 11. Not that there's any problem with being short, but my mom, uh, who worked in the medical field, Noticed all of a sudden, like, when you're good to a pediatrician appointment and you're growing, they track your growth on a growth chart. And they mark it with a little dot. And it makes you measure your height. Well, my mom noticed I was growing, 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 because I was always taller than all my friends. And then all of a sudden, I stopped. This, the dot on the growth chart, instead of going up, was staying in the same place. And I was like, okay. And my mom was noticing it, and she would say, she's not growing, 
she's not growing. And finally the doctor goes, huh, that dot has not moved on the growth chart. She is not growing. So I got my mom. The other thing is if you have a parent in the medical field, um, you know that they got network of friends in the medical field. So I saw one of the people that she was able to find. He was really good, an endocrinologist. And the first one we found was like my first experience with the doctor where uh, my anxiety came out. I don't know if you've ever walked into a doctor and they describe some kind of test or something they want to do to you and your reaction to that is um, hell no. And I didn't know that word at that age. But my my face probably said it. Um, because the test that they wanted to do was like over a period of time and the only word I heard was that it would make me, make me throw up. And I was over here like, I, I started having a mini anxiety attack. My heart rate started pounding. I walked to the door and said, Mom, please don't let me do that. Please, please, please. And she goes, I'm not making you do that. And then my me, mom, being super mom, she, um, another doctor, she goes, we could do a blood test. Yeah, he's like, we could do a blood test. And I'm like, I will take the blood test. I will take it. And, um... That was interesting because I had to take a, a medication, like they prescribed a single pill, I don't know what it was. And I had to take it and it was early in the morning and then wait a certain amount of time and then they drew blood. And I remember them telling me, because I was going to, they drew the blood and I hopped off the exam table and they were like, don't jump up to we just jump, jumped up like that. We don't want you to pass out. Foreshadowing. But, um... So when you are growing, you produce something from your pituitary gland called, gland called growth hormone, and um, or human growth hormone, and you should have some kind of it. The first test came back was zero, so they thought something happened with the test. We need to repeat it as it zero growth zero growth hormone. So whatever this pill does, I remember taking the test, and then the next thing I remember, I would be waking up in my bed. Anything in between that, I don't remember both times. One time, I think I remember waking up, pulling into the driveway. And the next time I woke up and it was nine o'clock at night and I was in my bed and I was like, how did I get here? Um, but the results came back and they go, it's zero again. Um, so I officially got the diagnosis. I, my body produces zero growth hormone. So what that means is I don't grow, but also it means that uh, it is really, really hard for me to put on muscle. You need to produce growth hormone to get muscle. So what does that mean? That means that even though I did gymnastics and ballet, which you, if you've ever seen like a gymnast in the Olympics, muscly, big arms, legs, like the mu- you can see the muscle. But on me, I had the strength in my muscles. They just didn't grow, so you couldn't tell. But and enough to the point where I hated wearing peasant style shirts with the elastic in the arms. Because <clears throat> if you have any kind of arm development up there, anything that's like elastic, I don't know. But I had definitely some sensory things going on because I also hated tags. I don't know if I was the only kid, but my mom would have to get the tags out of my shirt. But anyway, so what, what's the treatment for growth hormone. Uh, if you have it, you know, uh, well, when I was diagnosed, the only way to treat it 
um, was via a shot. And it was called Jenna Turpin. And it comes in like a pen set that looks like similar to like an insulin pen. Um, and I had to go in and it came in this messenger bag that was like all the basic like Roy G. Bibb colors. I think it was yellow, blue, red, and green. But it came with the pen and this whole like book and um, with like a messenger bag. I'm like this, this loudest obnoxious messenger bag. But basically, I got my first shot in the office, and they had to show me how to do this. And I'm looking at my mom like, you think I'm doing this? Like, I'm, you think I'm giving myself a shot? You're fun. And so for all my mom, my mom did it. And then she's like, I'm not doing, one day she's like, I'm not doing this anymore. You're going to have to learn to do it yourself. And I remember, I think I kind of like closed one eye. But I did it, and I found, they said what, they told me the options of where I could give myself a shot, which would be the arm in your stomach or on your thigh and so for me I picked my thigh and eventually that became routine and let me tell you something this it is interesting when you have to travel with medication that has to be refrigerated um, um, and you have to travel with little needles which are kind of the same needles that go on the end of an insulin pen and I'm a way to dispose of them um, so I was like, geez. Um, and I did that for five years. And I got to five, seven. And I could have kept going in high school. Um, and the other way that they figure out if you're a candidate for growth hormone therapy is they do x-rays of your growth plates. And if they're open, um, it means you're still growing and you can do it. But if they take an x-ray and your growth plates are close, it means you're done growing, and the growth hormone shots is not going to help you get any taller. There has been a lot of research stating that even after you're done taking it for the purposes of getting taller, that people with growth hormone deficiency, that there is some, some studies out there that say that people should continue to be on it even after. And I'm like, for what purpose? Like, it did its job. Um, but other things happen, um, you know, my, you know, I would definitely look back and I, I, I was a very, uh, I would say emotional, I mean, emo teenager. I think every teen, teenager to, to a degree is, um, but man, I don't know if it was that the hormones were just hitting, but I was in mega denial about the things that were happening to my body, and I was, like, not here for it. I pretty much was in denial. Um, I definitely went through a phase where I just, I was, like, my mom can pick out my clothes because I, I don't want anything to do with shopping. I don't want anything to do with picking out outfits. It just didn't jive with me. I... My mom be like, we need to get pants for school, or we need to do this. And luckily, I mean, I went to a private school, so I wore uniform. So, the, that that I, I don't know what that struggle is like uh, go, going to public school and having to pick out an outfit every day. Um, if you'd like to share that with me, I'd be very interested to know what, what that entails. Um, but basically, mine was a choice of 
one of the shirts in the school colors and khaki pants. There was skorts, but it was a Catholic high school and it kind of got ruined because, you know, uh, a lot of girls couldn't seem to keep the skirt where it was supposed to be at the proper length. And it's kind of, I think, a thing with uniform skirts. So they just decided, okay. So we got uh, Bermuda shirts with a little uh, paw embroidered on the knee. So they, there was no way you could roll them up and make them like short shorts because that would disappear. And that's how they knew that they're on correctly. Um, but, and then on Fridays you got to wear, I think it's like a rugby shirt, which I still have because it's very comfortable and it's long sleeve. And I still have my jacket, which I pretty much lived in all four years of high school. It seemed better days, but, um, there was a jacket and there was a pullover sweater and a jacket. It looked like, a, a sports jacket, um, like a letterman jacket. That's what it looked like. Um, and it had like almost like a waterproof lining on the inside, but yeah, I was cold all the time because I was very petite, very skinny. I didn't hit a hundred pounds till I left high school. So I was tiny. Um, and I was, uh, definitely nerdy, wiry. Um, and I didn't understand that those are really good things, like being nerdy, being really smart. Um, I was just really uncomfortable in myself and then having to put up with like the people in my class, it just was like, you know, um, like adding, um, adding to like the aggravation. But so if you're in high school and you're listening to this, like I understand being in that awkward situation where your, your body's awkward. You're not quite sure what to do with it, how to dress it. You're not sure what you think of yourself or figure out really who you are. And I want you to know that's like normal. It is totally normal to be in that place. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't last forever because, um, as you get older, you figure out more about yourself. And um, especially once you, I think, get out of high school. But when you're in high school, you know, if you're more outgoing than me and you join clubs, if you're in cheerleading or whatever clubs or extracurriculars your school, your school offered, you know, you got a little bit more social exposure than me. I was captain of the social anxiety club, I, which wasn't an actual club. I just really had bad social anxiety. I still do. I was very shy and I preferred not to talk to anybody. Um, pretty much ate lunch alone. I was much happier that way. Um, I couldn't stand eating in the cafeteria because everybody was talking over each other and it was really loud and just very overstimulating and overwhelming to me. Um, I'm not proud of this, but the first year I just skipped lunch and I cold my jets in the library um, until it's time to go to my next class. And then after that, um, the librarians are like, you, they're super cool. They didn't do that whole shush thing. I remember that was the first thing they told us when we were introduced to them was, we don't believe in the shush role here. So, um, and so really nice tables. And I would just like eat my lunch there now, or be in the computer lab, one of the two. So um, if you're still figuring yourself out, if you don't know what it is. Some people, 
and I didn't understand it. It's like knew from a young age that this is what they wanted to do and it had like this whole plan and I didn't have a plan. I really didn't know what I wanted to do because one thing I thought I wanted to do didn't happen. So after that, it was like, and that was at five. So after that, it, you know, it's like, okay, so I'm in high school. I'm like, most people are like, oh, I'm going to be in, going to nursing and I'm going to go into teaching and I'm going to, and I, I didn't have an, any idea. Um, and I remember when we were going through like the AA majors with the, the counselor or the advisor, um, I ended up settling in, in picking English literature and I did a lot of general electives. And so I got introduced to a bunch of different things that, um, I found that I liked. Um, another thing, uh, I was terrified to drive. So, uh, I wasn't really driving, driving until I was about 18. Um, so yeah, my mom drove me to school for all four years of high school. God bless her. Um, and picked me up. Um, yeah, no, if you, if you had to go to high school in Miami, um, and drive in that traffic, you wouldn't want to drive either. Um, if you live in Miami and you go to high school in Miami and you drive, Bless you, I don't know how you do it, because my anxiety levels just couldn't handle it. Um, not to mention, I had to be at school at 7.30 in the morning, and I woke up at 5.30 in the morning, and I don't think I was awake enough to drive. So, anyway, um, my sister, on the other hand, she loved driving. But, I was, my mom, um, I wouldn't be the person I without her. She really pushed me into, um things like she basically insisted that I do a driver's ed course and uh, that is how I got the driver's license because then the driver's ed course counted as the driven course so I didn't have to go well, for what for me was very an anxiety producing nightmare of the driven course around the streets of, of Kendall or Miami um, you know I was thinking about it I don't I don't know what the different different driving courses are in different countries, like what it's the requirement to get your license. Um, I just knew for me, I was terrified of it. And like, suddenly it was just on me. And I was like, I have so much other stuff to deal with. I can't, I can't think about license right now. You know, I decided at 14, I wasn't going to do dance anymore because, um, I just felt held back. <laughs> um, I at one point thought maybe I'll do a dance company thing. And then I had a belly teacher basically explain if we decided to do that route, uh, what it entailed. But then I realized I was absolutely terrified of performing on stage. My heart would go start beating really fast, but that was because I didn't know at the time I had an arrhythmia. But um, the studio that it danced at, um, your senior year, um, I think it was like four seniors, got to do a solo uh, performance at the recital, which was three days in June usually right after school got out, like the first weekend in June. And I was terrified of dancing solo on stage. Um, I could definitely think back now that I have my first evidence of brain fog because I couldn't remember choreography to save my life. My, I would look at the other dancers' feet. Um, my, from muscle memory, certain things I still remember from dance, but a lot of it either would be way too dangerous to do or, uh, my body is like, don't, uh-uh, you, that, that, you were tired. 
Um, but if you do dance professionally or you're going to dance professionally, I, you know, I applaud you if you're doing professional gymnastics. You know, I kind of um, have looked and seen what goes into doing the professional dancer thing and doing the professional pro gymnast thing and realize, yeah, with what I got going on now, and my anxiety, I don't know, it definitely wasn't the path for me, um, but I was so, I'm so blessed that I got to just, like, have a little taste of it and to do it, because when I was in the studio and doing it, I was having the time of my life, but when, um, and doing rehearsal, I, I felt like the most professional person, like, dancer, whatever, but when it was show day, um, and I felt like the biggest professional when, um, there'd be a sign on the door and that said dancers only. And I'm like, that's me dancers only. Um, and basically all the girls were in one spot cause it was a high school. And then all the, the guys, which weren't many were in another, um, so it was, it was interesting and I was seeing, I was, I was taking it in. It was very visual of all the older girls who were a little, how they was up in the air because they were having to change in the same spot as girls that were younger than them. And these young girls that were kind of like, I'm way too old to do this. Like, um, not like, uh, we're all girls, we, you know, we all have the same body parts, some of us are just, you know, farther, you know, in different stages of development of those body parts, but relatively the same ones, um, you know, I partake in Girl Scouts, which pretty much after dance was Girl Scouts, and I got to represent the state of Florida as a delegate at the 2005 Girl Scout Convention, um, as part of the all-girl congress, uh, scouting's definitely picked up a bad rep these days, but I didn't know then what I knew now, um, but, you know, I got my gold award, and, which is the highest achievement in scouting, and for all the bad stuff in scouting, that's just inexcusable, it does uh, do a lot of good it's just overshadowed by all this bad unforgivable stuff that like even um in boy scouts and i think back now i'm like how many other like girls how many other scouts have been didn't have it so good in scouts that didn't that, that had it miserable who were mistreated who were abused who really got a raw deal, um, and if you were a scout and that happened to you, I am so sorry that that happened to you, that is, that is not at all what, what scouting is about, it is not what we're taught, that breaks every promise, law, and rule that we literally promise to live by, um, we stand there, right up there after the Pledge of Allegiance, and say the promise and laws with our, in Girl Scouts, the three fingers in the air. And we say at every trip meeting, every 
every Girl Scout event, we say it. Everyone knows it. I got up in front of other people at an event, and I said it, and I still hold those things near and dear to my heart, and I cannot believe that anybody who's taken that oath, who has signed and promised to uphold those things, would break it like that. Would literally hurt scouts. Would break every single thing that we stand for, we believe in, that, you know, believe in, and just shatter that. Like, that is, that's not what scouting is, and I think it's fallen from grace. It maybe it's going through an evolutionary period. I think it definitely needs to grow and evolve, and there was a point where I wanted to work for GSUSA, um, and I think thought this would be a good opportunity. I can meet a lot of people, but right now, it's like with, you know, me and as open as I am about my life, you know, I don't know that I'd want to work at a place that I don't know, you know, can still hold up to the same promise and laws that I've said for, since I was five years old, up until 17, and I, I, I have Girl Scout books everywhere, my vests are still in my closet, and I read these articles, and I'm just like, what happened, like, what happened, it used to mean something, and it used to stand for something, it used to be respected, used to be really special, and now it's like, a bunch of people with really bad intentions, they're just not good people, went and took something that gave kids a sort of a foundation and taught them leadership skills and all kinds of skills that you can take with you, take with you long after you're done in the world of scouting and just completely upended it. And it broke trust. And, and as being a scout as long as I was for that many years, as a scout, it broke my trust because I always thought, even though I'm not putting on the uniform and we're going to meetings or selling cookies or whatever, in my heart, I'm always a scout. And now it's like questioning that, you know, in my heart, the, what it really is, what a scout really is, is still there. And in my mind, this scout, I know I'm the scout that scouting is meant to represent and reflect. But it's going to take a long time to rebuild the trust that's been demolished. It's going to take a long time to earn back respect. I'm telling you, the founders of scouting are rolling over in their graves right now. If they were alive, they'd be having a fit. I think Julia Gordon-Lowe herself is just in heaven somewhere going, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I founded 
Girl Scouts, and I left this legacy, and you crab all over it. I mean, you know, I just like, really? There's this place that I images of, like, girl power and all this stuff, and I was like, um, it changed. And it was like, it was like the same thing of I held gymnastics into this, like, light, and then everything came out about the scandal. I, I, I will not even say his name because it does not even deserve to be spoken of. And I was like, I love the sport. Like, even though I don't do it, I still, I love to watch it. Like, having done it, I know how much practice and hard work and dedication and sacrifice it takes to be a gymnast. How much you put your body through. Um, even to be a dancer. And for someone to take advantage of the, the trust that you put in to an adult, to somebody that's supposed to take care of you, to help take care of you, and, and violate your trust like that, like, definitely, and I've heard Jeremy speak of this, literally calls into question the entirety of the sport because of how the entirety of the sport is managed, because, I mean... Like I said, it's trust wrecked and respect wrecked. But I applaud inner gymnasts that are going to keep going and rebuild it because it's going to take a while. You don't, you don't, that, you don't, that doesn't happen and you get your respect and trust back in a night or a year. Or two years. Uh, it's about proving and I'm putting this out here to scouts and USA gymnastics and scouts. You're gonna have to prove that the past will not repeat itself and you're gonna make it right. You're gonna make it right for every single person who's been hurt who's been, had their dignity taken, had anything taken from them as a result of the actions that happened. Because this shouldn't have happened. It should have never happened. But like I said, and there's the excuse to this. Because I think for a long time we were seeing what they wanted us to see. And not the whole truth. Um, and the truth is you can't have something as big as scouting as global or gymnastics, which is a global sport. And not have it, and there not be snakes in the water. And there not be something amiss. And you know what? If you, you know, you, it, it's going to take something huge. Not saying people are never going to forget that. That's something I understand is people are not going to forget what happened. And the more that comes out, you got, you have to hold 
yourself to higher standards and you have to be more accountable and you have to put it out there. I mean the highest people up there need to publicly put it out there and show it because you can talk the talk but you got to walk the walk. You know, I, I was raised that. Don't just say what you're going to do to make it better or what you're going to do to make it right for those people. You got to do it. You got to put put your money where your mouth is. It's like you can't erase the past, but you can make the future a heck of a lot better. You can make it so that it's a safer place. You can try to earn back the respect to the trust that you've really lost. You know, it's crazy to think not long ago I was doing events to try to, these, these events happen. We're trying to get up the numbers of people to join. And now it's kind of like, man, in the future as a parent, I, huh. I was like for sure that my kids were going to be in scouting and they're going to be gymnastics. And now it's kind of like, but these they be my babies. And it's like, if I'm putting my, I'm trusting my child's well-being with you. Don't you dare, dare harm that, harm them. Don't you, don't you ever. So it's like, Never. And if you're a parent, I, I, I definitely understand it if you make the decision to not. Um, or if you decide to, I'm just saying, be vigilant and be on top of it, you know. Be able to look for the signs. Um, And if you're a dancer, if you're a scout, if something's happening to you, I know it's scary. I know it's scary because when I was, now it's not scouting, but when I was in school, I was taken advantage of by another student. And I was really scared to say something. And then one day I said something to my teacher and then, then I was talking to the principal, the vice principal, and shortly after that, I left the school, and I was able to get help, and it took a while. These years, I'm talking about it in therapy and understanding what happened to me, and some people have said, well, because of your age, it wasn't, and my therapist the other day just was like, no, it was straight up assault. I don't care. Fast. That's assault. Doesn't matter what age. Was it handled correctly? No. Because you really asked a bunch of of students to be witnesses to this. When if somebody comes to you with something like that, don't rely on kids as your witnesses because chances are they're friends with the person who did it and uh, they ain't gonna back. You just can't. That, you have to go a little bit higher than that. And I know it's scary. And I know that you've had your dignity feels like it's been trampled on in your innocence. And you just 
don't know who to trust. I'm telling you that it's okay. I encourage you to reach out and get help. Say something. Doesn't help. It's okay to be scared. It is. It's okay to know. But don't think that you ever have to be quiet or just think that it's okay because anytime where you somebody does something to you and it is without your consent and you are hurt it is never okay it is never okay I you know you think at some point I mean we're about to roll into 2021 that people would have a better grasp on the concept of consent but the truth be told I really don't. And I have this issue, even as an adult, I'm telling that even as an adult, you can literally say no and run into this issue. And it happened to me in a hospital a lot of places with a nurse of somebody who takes a bigger oath than a Girl Scout oath, you would think that would respect my decision not to get certain medicines. And... I absolutely knew what happened was wrong. And I, and my mom was like, I cannot let this happen to other people. If she, if this nurse has done it to me, then how many other people has this happened to? And I was like, I don't mind. It's like, I will speak up. I went from being afraid to speak up to being like, give me a phone number. I'm there is no telling me to be quiet. Um, the investigation was done, and I I felt it for my mental health and for my sanity um, that my sanity uh, at that point and at this time, I choose not to pursue it any further than that. Um, but you can... Bet your bottom dollar I will not be going back to that hospital. Um, like I was saying, if something's happened to you, speak up. If you have somebody that you can trust, a friend, to go with you, it's going to be okay. Speak up. There are people in this world that care about you, that love you, and that will help you get the help you need. I know because my best friend is one of these people that has one of the biggest hearts in the world and she wants to help people and she's on her way to becoming one of the best teachers and she's one of those people that I would trust implicitly in a classroom and she would do anything for her students, anything I'm telling you. She danced longer than me. She did gymnastics longer than me. We've been best friends since middle school. And it's just good people. And you know good people. You know who you can trust. You can trust to tell your teachers. And if you don't feel safe telling that teacher, go to teacher you think you can't trust. Or anybody in the school. Or your parent. Or 
whoever you know and you have in your life, you can trust to tell that information to you. And speak up. And, and just know it's it's going to be okay. You're going, you're going to get through this. As much as it's like one of those things that you cringe when you hear it, when you're going through something, it really is true. You do get through it. You will get through it. You may not forget it, but you will start the process of healing, coping, and it could take years, you know, to try to understand. And I'm one of those people that I like, I want to know why. I want to understand. And sometimes then the, the reason is I don't know why. And I've been, why the person chose to do what he did to me. But me, and I know not everybody can do this, but I forgave him. Did I say it verbally? No. I don't know where, where in the world life has taken him. But I was just like, one day I was like, I cannot harbor hatred or ill will in my heart for somebody. I can't harbor this. Like, it's not good for me. And for me to rethink that truly move on um, and heal more is to forgive. And forgiveness is something really hard to give. Especially when you are hurt so badly when your trust was violated. And it could take years. It took me years to get to the point where I could say and feel like I truly meant that I forgive him. Um, and getting to a point where I'm working on forgiving the teachers that I felt like I couldn't trust and working on forgiveness in areas of my life where I know that I've not forgiven or forgiven myself. Um, because now that I know what I was going through was normal or it wasn't normal or the sign was there and it's just, it was not the time for it to be, not the right time it, for the diagnosis to happen. Um, or maybe there's this diagnosis, I don't know the reasons, but I know I'm weirdly glad that it happened as an adult, because I feel like I was better able to handle it versus had I been doing this same stuff, but as a child. Now, if you've been going through medical diagnosis, chronic illness stuff since a child, you know, you are a brave human being. And oh my goodness, um, because I don't know how I would have mentally kept it together. But because even as an adult, there's times where it's hard to keep it together. But I openly advocate therapy and seeking out help and journaling and painting and picking up a hobby and whatever it is that you need to do to be at peace with yourself and be happy and just sort of, you know, and, you know, know that mentally you're in the best place that you can be for yourself at that time. And that always changing I know for me you know mental health is very important to me and I think it's stigmatized I think there's probably been a lot of you have been told no you can't talk about that you can't say anything because people are going to think you're crazy don't believe that because the quieter that we are about it 
the less people are going to speak up, they're not going to, they're going to be too afraid to get help. And I've seen what falling through the cracks looks like and the very severe end of the spectrum of mental health. I've seen how heartbreaking that is and not knowing where to turn or who to trust and uh, not even being able to trust your own mind and uh, I you know it's one of those things that I said I mean I believe that the mental health system outpatient therapy one-on-one for me has always worked but the two times in my life that I've had the inpatient experience um, and you know what I have the places what I barely remember the experience basically I was so young my brain just sort of compartmentalized it or erased parts because there was the only way I could handle it to get through it now as an adult I was more aware I feel like I was more aware of my own thoughts my beliefs what I was seeing and able to formulate actual like opinions on things versus as a kid I didn't know I couldn't recognize if what I was things wrong I assumed there are adults in this profession they know all the mental health stuff so they obviously must be right but then saying it when it's all adults on various spectrums from people that have literally just got on the floor because they try to take their life to people who are checking in because their particular mental illness diagnosis needs more help and this is the kind of help that it needs to seeing that places like that and at least the one I was in to me was just in my mind appalling I feel like because of the floor that it was on because of the patients that were there they weren't believed they weren't taken seriously and it was like there are so many studies on the things that help contribute to better mental health and it may not you know be the cure for their particular mental health diagnosis but you know it can still help but seeing this place where it looks like I hadn't had a paint job in forever where you ba- we basically had the oldest you could, you could tell it was the floor that never got any love because why why the people who could probably use the most the people who whose suffering is inside and whose right where it's not a visible thing like a broken leg where it's your mind that's injured that it's your mind that's sick it's your mind and it's the mind that needs the help and all the good influence you can put on it so yeah you know what up in my mind that place needed a paint job it needed nicer beds it needed a more positive vibe towards good mental health and there was different wards depending on the patient they were how at risk they were some were locked some were not and I'm just 
the vibe was one flew over the cuckoo's nest. If you've never seen that movie, I'm telling you, that's the kind of vibe. Um, and I was like, and I, I remember having a conversation with my like, you shouldn't have been there. And I was like, you know, I shouldn't have been there. But it was through my own action that I ended up there in the first place. And, um, I can't explain what I was going through. Not that I don't want to. It's hard to explain what I was going through at that stretch. But it was kind of in my early 20s. And now I'm kind of in this place where I'm... I can recognize, like, a place. Or it's like, I understand me personally that my thoughts themselves can be very powerful and your thoughts can be very powerful and I some years ago after this had happened I had always been being told you're thinking negatively you're going through negative attention negative 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 and I was I don't know and I was like um I don't want to be uh, negative, um, because it was so easy for negative thoughts to pop in my head, and harder for positive ones, and I do happen, but I kind of was just like, if I can think these negative thoughts, how hard would it be if I focus more on positive thoughts or like slowing myself down because I would literally the thought would be there and a second later I'd be doing whatever the thought was not like a voice a thought um um and I when I think I was like away at college at some point I came back I really wasn't in therapy and then, you know, I really wasn't doing anything to help my mental health, really. Um, I didn't really do any research into it. And now, uh, now I understand more. After having gotten retested to get accommodations at school and understanding like yes I have learning disability but it's a lot more complicated than ADD there is a cognitive functioning aspect uh, disorder aspect to it and an executive functioning aspect and when it's broken down like that it explains a lot on top of that I have generalized anxiety disorder social anxiety disorder panic attacks and um I got very realized later um, on is that I can definitely have a day where I can be in just a mood about myself. I can easily just, somebody could, my, it could be a parent or close to me, said something to me, and I'm just going to be hanging on that mood for a really long time. And I kind of realized I can't let my thoughts every thought that pops in my head, 
whatever it is, dictate my actions. And I was like, I wanted, I was like, I just wanted to be better than I was. And I was like, I felt like I was just in this rut and I wasn't going to progress any further if I was continuing in this way I was going. And I kind of just started with, I'm just going to start with like one positive thought. Um, and one of the other things was like, I need to go through and figure out what is negative in my life that I can change. One of the things was the medication I was taking. And yes, it is okay to take medication if you need it for your mental health. That is why they're a psychiatrist. Um, and I'm realizing I hated the medication I was on. And I spoke up about it and I went through a trial period to find something. Found one that I really liked and it really helped with my anxiety and being able to deal with crowds. I still don't have the crowd thing under control. That's why you'll probably never see me at a concert. Just being real. Um, but I figured if I don't go through um, the motion of the panic attack, I've never learned how to deal with it. And then most recently in the last couple of years, uh, after mo moving, getting a new psychiatrist, she said, you don't have to be miserable. And I was always terrified to take any of the anti-anxiety medicine, and I don't know why, but it resonated with me. It's the first time I ever heard a mental health professional say that to me. And I decided, you know what? If it can help my mental health be better, then let me trial it. So I trialed it, and I felt calmer, and I felt more focused. And from there, I was sort of able to my I sort of go back and realize my anxiety was crazy. A lot of my anxiety was also misdiagnosed as my heart issue. So don't be afraid to think that maybe it's all anxiety because there's a lot of people heart diagnosis anxiety, a generalized anxiety disorder. It turns out to be an arrhythmia. So I, I'm in the right case where I actually have both an arrhythmia and anxiety. So sometimes, but the thing is, is when my heart rates up, I don't know, I've kind of got a little bit better at discerning, okay, wait a minute, is this just my heart? Or is this my anxiety? If there's anxiety involved, there's more symptoms and stuff happening. If it's my heart, I just feel my heart. Um, so things I've done is I sort of let, as I've grown older, I will sort of let go of these little things that I felt insecure about. I, I came out, uh, I guess you could say, as pansexual, but now I'm kind of exploring the territory of gray sexual um, and exploring that. Um, I've been... Embracing myself for who I am and realizing that I figured out more of who I am than I've ever known so far. Um, and that is that I, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm geeky and I'm going to own it and I'm nerdy and I'm going to own it. And I definitely have habits, like bad habits I got to work on. You know what? And, you know, I can be sassy. You know, I have days where I'm sassy, days where I'm dancing around the kitchen and the days where I'm just loafing on the couch like a couch potato. You know, it, you know. And it's just all these different things that make up the person who is me. And I'm like, not everybody, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm cool. And so I've been happier. Been like, you know, I think I was being happier is like, you know what? I'm me and I'm cool with me and I love me. And I think you need to 
you guys, if you have issues, that's just work on it. Eventually, you know, I went from not being able to look in a mirror to being, you know what? I'm a dork and I love me. So, um, embrace all self-love. Work on that self-love. Hearing that word self-love, I was like, what is that? And then I did some research into it. And I started to listen to a few podcast, um, anti-anxiety books and journaling and painting and doing a lot more music and things that I really enjoy and packing in as much positive experiences and things that I knew that I would enjoy that would do good for my mental health. And I know when I get into position and things are for mental health because I feel it. Um, and it takes practice. It takes getting into a, a mental health routine. Um, and you figure out what works for you. You figure out the things that breed good, positive energy mentally. And you figure out the things that bring on the negative. And, you know, sometimes I'm still going through and I stumble onto one. And uh, sometimes I backpedal and stumble into an old habit. And then I realize that wasn't good. That just negated negativity or... It didn't do anything good for mental, my mental health whatsoever. And it maybe like last a second. But I'm like, um, it's okay to take a few steps back. You know, I, uh, other things that have helped was being able to go back to my past and be getting back in therapy and going back through my past and making me sense of things the best that I can and being like, certain things were not okay that happened to me, but today I'm okay. And that will not define who I am now or going forward in the future. Um, and I say it built this person. Um, but I wish you didn't have to go through horrible things to become the person you are. Some people become the person they are without having to go through horrible things. But for the most part, I had a really great childhood and I've had a really great life. And there have been some horrible bits in between. But... I've been learning to be like, if I'm having a day, it's a bad day, it's okay. If I'm having a mood all day today, it's okay to feel, it is okay to feel the way I feel. It is okay to feel some type of way about something. I'm going to continue this in a part two. Um, but I'm going to stop here with love yourselves. Work on it. It takes time. But love yourself. Hey friends, here's part two. So we were talking about self-love. Um, that's it, is that you have to find, is that it takes a while to find yourself. And it is a journey. It, it is not a rush. It is not a marathon. It, actually, it is a marathon. To find yourself. And you will. And when you find out who that person is, that person and who you are now is awesome. And I want you to love yourself. Because a lot of people, some people, there are going to be people in your life that just want to not like certain parts of you or nitpick about it. And, you know, what? I have people in my life like that too. But you know what? That's their hang up about me. And if they don't like that, you know, that then they can, you know, be hung up about it. But I'm like, I choose not to be. I choose not to be hung up on their hang-ups. Um, and I'm like, okay, so you, and I have people tell me, some things they tell me, uh, my voice can be very 
I could talk really fast and I used to get really and and my hair but with my voice I used to and I still do talk really fast I can get get going to a point where I'm like slurring my speech and I was at the point where I was like I need to fix this like clearly my speech is a problem and you should see a speech therapist and I was tired of being told to repeat myself, being told they couldn't understand me, and even though to myself, to me, I understand myself just fine. If you have this problem, let me know, but um, I still deal with it, and I'm not sure why that is, you know, but, you know, that my speech is the way it is. But I was definitely hung up on it, about it, and I still told about it, but I'm like, you know what, like, this is the voice that I was given, and yeah, I can get going too fast, but I don't hear it, so I don't know what's happening, and um, I've learned through others, there's nicer ways to tell people something, and yeah, I can see when somebody does something and it gets annoying or gets on your nerves and you tend to snap a little bit, but if you snap at somebody, you know, you could really hurt their feelings or make them feel, like, embarrassed about whatever it is you snap them about, and I'm thinking before you open your mouth, like, pause for a few seconds and be like, before I snap at this person, like, Yes, you know, yes, you know your feelings have a way, but think about them, too. Think about their feelings, too, beside yourself. Um, work on, because just like there's the people in my family and stuff that they do things that drive me nuts. And sometimes I ignore it, and sometimes I get snappy. And I... Um, have realized I have to work on not being so quick to react. Um, so I'm call it a knee-jerk reaction. Um, but sometimes I just instinctively, it's like, ah. Um, because I, there's very few things that annoy me or will change my mood really. Other, you know, but I'm a person that I think comes with anxiety, but I'm not a fan of being touched I think it's an anxiety thing or maybe it just has to do with what happened to me but I get annoyed <laughs> I get annoyed with that um and like my mom knows like I and the real part of it is uh, I come from a family of huggers so my instinct well right now is knuckle touches because COVID but you know I was taught, you know, a firm handshake, but with, like, my best friends or family, there's, you know, come and hug. And that's one thing. It's one thing, but I have control over the situation in which, or somewhat control of the situation of which contact with another person is happening. But when I don't, and I have no idea that it's coming, can't, I just, I can't deal with that right now. Um, I had that happen on a date once, and needless to say, we've not talked since. Um... Another thing, she's trying to be all intimate, and I, he crept up on me, 
and I tried to play cool, but I freaked me. I scared, scared me, to be honest. Um, the only thing that came out of it was I kind of learned how to play nine ball, but uh, other than that, um, yeah, so I know that I still have little anxiety things that make me jumpy, and I'm like, no, but I understand it's like okay to feel the way I feel, and I'll work on it, and maybe I won't get to a perfect area, but I, you know, limits, boundaries, you know, and mine, I'm a little bit more high alert and jumpy on that kind of thing, um, Like, even before this happened, uh, you know, I would wait for several elevators because I'm not about to be crammed in an elevator with a bunch of people. Or if somebody, like, kind of brushes by me to get by me, I'm like, which is which is why I'm, like, a suburban country girl. I, I, I don't think I could survive living in New York City because too many people. And there are days where I'm, I'm home buddy. I like hanging out at home with my dog and my cat. Um... And then there's times where I could go out, and I don't know what it is, but um, best friend. But sometimes I feel, and maybe you guys can relate, but um, before when I used, like I moved, and I was hanging out with my best friend a lot. Even though it was like my best friend, sometimes I I would feel like I had to be extra on, if that makes any sense. Um, I was a little bit more, like, tense. And the thing is, I'm comfortable around my best friend, obviously. But, um, I still feel like I couldn't totally, like, relax. Because I don't totally relax unless I'm kind of by myself. Or, you know, even from, with families. Um, and I think that just comes from, from being an anxiety person. There's some people that need people to function. They need, need to be around people. And... They do extremely well, and when they're not around people, their mental health kind of takes a toll, and it just doesn't bed well. I'm kind of person where it's like, uh, I like the analogy of having batteries, and um, a social situation, um, while I might enjoy myself having a good time, really drains my the batteries in terms of anxiety, and I notice I have a limit of about how many hours now since bringing other medication to it, I might be able to last longer or, you know, depending on it. But for the most part, I kind of can feel where I'm doing okay. And, um, when I'm slowly getting to that point of, I'm like, I'm ready to go home. I'm done. (laughs) Um, but I'm trying to work on not being alcoholic. Uh, so I'm a person that doesn't like going to parties, it, you know, not that anybody is with common sense these days going to parties, but, um, parties or if it's like a wedding and there's dancing, I, I get nervous about that kind of thing. And I danced for 12, 12 years. Um, so I just get nervous about it on top of that. And then my most like not element, cause that's when I have to get all dressed up. And I have to do makeup, and I have very much learned to love myself without makeup first, and I think that's really important for anybody that wears makeup, is learn to love yourself as you are without makeup, and then learn to love yourself with makeup, because, um, 
I did not care to learn about makeup or wear it or have anything to do with it. Um, when I was in high school, I didn't really decide I kind of wanted that. Um, I was much into my mid-20s. And then I was kind of like realizing I have no idea what I'm doing. And I admit, I still don't know. I kind of have gotten it, my cues from watching my sister and from YouTube videos. And oh my goodness. I cringe a little bit because I'm a person that's like, uh, the last thing I would spend a lot of money on would be makeup. And that, that's just me. Um, I would, you know, if there was a difference between a $60, a $60 video game and a $60 palette, I'm going to buy the video game. That's just me. Um, or I would save the money. Um, but sometimes I do, I, now that I've gotten a little bit more comfortable in my own skin and sort of figured out what I like and I'm just going to wear what I want and people go think what they want. So, um, I've kind of figured out I like jeggings and I like clothes that are comfortable on the skin. Um, I could see a shirt and it could feel, look really cute, but I will go up because Centuri is the first thing that happens to me and I will touch that material and if it feels any kind of not soft or it feels weird, uh, it will automatically be a no um, for me. And then I'm trying to go understand why anybody would want a wear shirt made out of that material. Um, I'm like a jersey knit, soft cotton type of materials. Um, and anything that's like that light, airy, fabric that you're basically, if you don't wear a jacket, you're going to freeze, even if it has sleeves, um, kind of a thing, you know, it's kind of like, I like things a little cute, but at the same time, I kind of like the practicality and the functionalism, I guess, of it, so there's a thing with jeans and men's department that do not have pockets, and it's like, or if they do, they're in the back, and I, I do not stick my phone in my back pocket, I'm like, or it's like purses. I'm like, I need a purse that can actually hold stuff. Um, and I like that. I got I got some really cute ones for Christmas. I've recently joined the Backpack Club. Um, really great way to carry your stuff and have free hands. Um, but yeah, things that I've discovered that as I've gotten into my own skin that I actually like and enjoy versus hold on to your seats. But before this, I hated purses. My mom had to force me to carry a purse, and I did bras. Hated them. Uh, my first one were sports bras from Sears. Um, and now it's like, can't get away without wearing one. And it's, you know, if you're a girl, you understand it. Um, I kind of understand the love-hate relationship between them to wear one. Um, and now I'm like, okay, cool. But I am going to pick up something comfortable. It's the same thing, kind of like with anything that you wear. Like, and wise, I feel like I need to know that I feel comfortable and what's under my clothes, what you can't see. And um, I'm very off put. I'm pretty much like, okay, where is, you know. But especially trying to find like stuff in my size or. Something looks cute from the front, but then you see the back and you're like, oh, no. 
or I something I'm like how how is anybody wearing this um do I know people that prefer certain styles of underwear yes do I understand how they wear it no um because you know I like to be comfortable I do you know something that looks like you're picking you're gonna be picking a wedgie all night long doesn't seem comfortable like it was, to me, I, I kind of realized the things certain people are super concerned about, I'm like, it's not that big of a concern. Uh, if you're wearing the right dress and you wear the right outfit or if you wear leggings, you're going to be fine. There are so many, there's, the things are, there's so many other things to be concerned about in the world than panty lines or anything like that. And people will be really hung up on that or they can't stand it. And I'm like, why? I'm like, yes, you know, having a little bit of pride in your parents is important, but not to the point for letting things become a literal, like, anxiety-inducing pet peeve. Because um, if I'm focusing so much of my mental energy on if something is what they can see, and think, well, number one, why are they staring at my butt? And number two, uh, you know what? I'm comfortable, so I kind of don't care. But... You know, I guess for some people, it does. Like, I can definitely say when I danced, I kind of mattered if my underwear was slipping out from my leotard. <laughs> but I was not about to go get some uncomfortable types of underwear to remedy the situation. Besides, I was kind of younger then. Yeah, not, that could definitely be embarrassing. Especially if, like, pink tights and, oh, oh goodness. But... Now, I'm just like, I'm comfortable and I'm good. And um, I'm good with that. Uh, like, for me, like, going to weddings, like, I know the kind of dress. It's kind of the one time I, um, if it's special occasions and stuff, that I will wear dresses and shoes that are not sneakers or boots. Um, because I am not and it's a truth that anybody who's seen me walk in heels knows I look like a baby deer learning to walk a little baby cat calf learning to walk I just it's not pretty and I've tried to practice I basically if I have heels it's not long before I give them to my sister because she is a professional at walking she, well, not professional. she's just better at it she's she's she um I think she has more muscles to walk in my heels, I think. I think it is an acquired skill or something. Maybe you have to practice more. Um, I remember a lot of times saying, yeah, it's, I wear heels all the time. It's just more comfortable. I'm like, in what world? But um, it's just the thing that sometimes gets um, you know, laugh is what uh, the, the influencers or the vloggers, and in my mind, you know, I realize I, I very quick to judge in certain things, and I, I had to work on that because in my, like, comfy world, uh, if I'm looking at them in this, like, skimpy dress, and they talk, they talk about, like, getting unwanted attention, not the right attention, and I'm like, for it, you know, I do believe in a little bit of modesty, 
you know, but I also believe you can look really good and super pretty, but it doesn't mean that you have to wear a skimpy, teeny, tiny little bodycon dress and, like, six-inch stripper heels, like, and so much makeup, you can scrape it off with a butter knife. Like, I'm like, I understand pride in appearance, you know, and everything. I understand wanting to look pretty and feel pretty, um, but I'm like, realistic, I'm like, who are you doing this for, though? Are you doing this for you, or are you doing this because you know this outfit is going to attract all kinds of attention and not exactly the good kind? Because any advice that I've learned is... You kind of have a choice in the reputation you got. And uh, if you're going to dress like you buy your clothes from an adult store, you're going to pick up that kind of a reputation. Think about it. I'm like, you don't have... And if you think that's how you're going to get a partner, a date, whatever, someone to notice you... They're going to notice you for a lot of other things, but not for what you want them to notice you for. Like, I feel like you're being less yourself when you're trying so hard. It's like, I'm not saying don't try at all. I'm saying be yourself. Would you wear this in a normal everyday life? No. Would you? And honestly answer to yourself, when in my life? Besides, if you can hold up an, a dress and say, the only way, place I can wear this outfit is in a club, put it back. If the only place this outfit's getting worn is because I'm going for a job interview at East Trip Club, think about it. Think about it. What kind of attention is this dress going to attract? Or this skirt? Or these shorts? Or these heels. Think about it. Because if you're going for a job interview, you have to dress professionally. You have to dress for success. If you show up in a tiny little bodycon dress with little to the imagination, I don't, you're really not going to get a job unless, like I said, you're interviewing at a strip club or something of that nature. Um, You don't have to, like, wear these tight, uncomfortable clothes and the strapless bra. And all. You don't have to do all these things to yourself. If that's what you ha- if that is the level you have to go to to be accepted, then those are not your friends. That is not a life you want for yourself. If you have to go through a spray tan and two hours of makeup and tiny little dress and high heels and all of this stuff... To be accepted by your friends and for them to say good things about you, they're not your friends. Real friends like you for who you are. They respect you for who you are. And they're not going to make you bend over backwards to be accepted by them. It's like you know who you are and you know what kind of friends you want and the kind of people you can trust. If, and I think it's a good test is. How many people on your on one hand can you say are a good friend that you can trust? Like say, oh, I have 
20 hearts. Okay, but of those 20, how many of those you know, if you were in trouble right now and you called them, would they come? How many of them, if you went through a breakup, if you went through something really rough in your life, that they would be there? How many of them would remember important things like your birthday? And hey, it's in Texas, it's like happy birthday. How many of them would you say are like family to you? How many of them would you be there for? Hmm? Think about it. And if the answer to the qu any of those questions is no, then they're not your real friend. If you don't feel like you can trust them, if you don't feel like they respect you unless you're bending over backwards for their acceptance, if you know for a fact when the going gets tough, they don't show up, be done with them. You're going to get more respect from people, from your dates, than you trust yourself, just for you. Just for the type of people you want to talk to. Now, if that's what you're going for, good for you. I'm just saying, you don't have to do it. It's a choice. You have a choice in your life. You have a choice of what you're going to wear. You have a choice of who you hang out with. You have a choice of who you call a friend. Which I think is a title that is earned. And you don't just give it to anybody. And um, think about every person that you call a friend. And if they've really earned that title. Because um, you'd be surprised. You would be surprised at people who you thought were your friends, and then it turns out they, not even close, they didn't even deserve the, the first letter of the word friend. They really didn't. Um, and it's sad that sometimes you have to figure out the hard way who your friends are in life. But your real friends, they're going to be there for you. They're going to remember the important things. They're going to get to know you. They're going to accept you for you. You don't need extra drama. You don't need drama in your life. You don't need disloyalty. But you don't need people that don't respect you, that don't trust you, that don't like you for you. Because you got to like you for you. And if you're too busy trying to get them to like you for you, it's just a mess. And nobody got time for that. Just saying you got to love yourself. And you got to be good with you. You gotta just check in your heart. Am I good with me? If people got a problem with it, let them be hung up whenever. That's their problem. Um, now, me personally, I'm not the club going type. I've never been to a club. I've never, I, I would not know what that lifestyle entails or what all is required, but it just seems a whole lot of work and a very late night. And I'm a person that likes to be very cozy by like 11. So. I'm old school in my heart and my nature, and um, I would much rather watch a movie, have a conversation, play video games, you know, than, I don't know, be out and not be back and crawling into my bed till three or four or five in the morning. I don't know. Doesn't sound like an evening to me. Um, also, the lights would probably just give me a migraine anyway. Um, 
not my music, but I mean, if it's your thing, if that's your happy place, your escape is going to a club, be safe. That's all I'd say. If you're of age to go to a club and that's what you like to do with your friends, be safe, be smart. Because there are people out there with bad intentions who only seek to hurt and uh, out my friends to be safe. Uh, and that, along with that comes guarding your heart. And that's not just with relationships, but that's with friendships. And that's what I was saying. You don't have to go all that way, out of your way, for acceptance. It's not that hard. It's not supposed to be that hard. Sometimes you have to take a step back at a reality check and be like, wait a minute. You know, safe. I want you to be happy. I want you to have friends that you can trust and rely on that you know for a fact are going to be there. And you know what? Everybody else can just go in the acquaintance, acquaintance category, you know, or something. But, you know, that, that's like my thoughts is I, I get that vibe from like influencers is they bend over backwards and to be accepted into this community of where they constantly have to be at this like level and standard all the time and and if they're not it it turns into literal high school nightmare like you get the vibe that people talk about each other behind their backs that there's a lot of dishonesty and just people you really wouldn't want to associate, associate yourself with. Um, some people, I'm like, oh, I think they're genuine and they're down to earth. And then there's others where I'm like, mm, I get the vibe that you do this for the PR and the YouTube check. Um, I think you can get yourself into something that you weren't expecting. You know, it might as well as you doing something for you because you like beauty or you like makeup or whatever. And then maybe you got, it took off for you. And the next thing you know, you're in this world of influencers and beauty and PR and collabs and um, all of a sudden a whole other world that you have to, it just it seems like too much. That world of influencers and beauty just, you know, I think, I think it's a skill to be able to do makeup and to do all of the things and understand it. Like, I got, you know, understand how certain products work, but like to the passion level that some people I've seen, like, I, on YouTube or places have, uh, I think it's huge. Um, and to have the deep pockets to afford a very expensive career. But when you're passionate about something and you're able to achieve it, I think that's awesome. What I don't think is awesome is what seems to be like this natural, like, cattiness, cheesiness, drama situation. Um, 
because you know what, I like to sit down sometimes and put on makeup and play with makeup, but I mean, I can wear a full face of makeup all day, every day. My skin would be screaming at me, number one. Number two, I couldn't afford it. Um, and I'm like, I, I, I kind of like the no makeup look. Um, but at the same time, if I know somewhere where I can, it's more special to me when I save makeup for special occasions. And I have the time to sort of think out how I want it to look. Um, not that it ever comes out that way, but I try. And you know, I end up impressing myself and I pull up something if I'm rusty on the skill. You know, I might pull up a video on somebody who knows how to do that and uh, do it. And I did have a moment where I was like an Ulta and wanting to try different products and um, it was cool, but it was expensive. And I kind of figured out what products I really like, and I kind of stick to those, and that works for me. Um, because there's so many products coming out all the time. It is hard to keep up with. And it's like, jeez. I mean, I, I think I would be totally overwhelmed as a the influencer if you, if you do that. I think it's awesome. If you can literally handle being up to date with all of the new products that are coming out and everything, you know, like I, I, I get really just amazed or mind blown at people having a whole room that is nothing but makeup and hair products. And I'm sitting here going, I only wish my closet was that big. And it's just drawers upon drawers, upon drawers, upon drawers of eyeshadow palettes and foundation and primers and setting sprays and like and like if I had the money that it takes to build that I would build my own house like you know I imagine having a closet or a room there might be some makeup products but not taking up all of the space in the room I don't know so I'm blowing that they built that a lot of it, like on PR kits and stuff. And I'm like, wow. And I start wondering, well, how do you, how do you know who you want to go? And I would say it's definitely going into business with, you know, I mean, do you, I was wondering, do these like influencers research these companies before they agree to, you know, review their product or wear their product or whatever it is that you do when you get their PR kits? Because I would want to do my research and see where they stand ethically and their animal cruelty, their, their practice in terms of animal testing, things like that. You know, there is certain companies that I will not buy from because I just don't ethically think they're a good company. And I don't like where they stand that they basically put profit over animals. I love animals. Um... And I know the idea that you would test on an animal just disgusts me. So, uh, but I have other things that interest me. Um, I think everybody has something that interests them. 
but mostly me is trying to understand them because I know that's things that are not me. Um, YouTube, and you kind of find yourself in this video that you normally like. Like I said, for me, it's like I found myself. I used to watch a lot of the beauty channels, and then I just I lost my interest mostly because I was like, there are some channels I think they're genuine, but I think that's like two. Um, and others that I just, uh, um, it's like, I can't, I, I literally can't anymore. Um, it's like when I make these, I try to come from as genuine and honest and open as a place as possible. And I'm looking in this and I'm like, this feels rehearsed, edited, like. I feel like, again, seeing what you want me to see, but not what the actual truth is, not the real you. Um, and I feel like if you're going to be on a platform like YouTube, like podcasts, like um, any place where you're putting yourself out there, you, I feel like you owe it to yourself and be able to, to be honest with people. And if you're going to sit there and lie, if you're going to sit there and act like things peachy when it's not, you know, then like, what are you doing? Because people, little kids look up to you. They watch your channel, listen to your podcast, and they hang on every word that you say. They believe it. So think about like those little minds, like be honest. If you can't be honest with yourself, I could be honest with your audience. I could be honest with myself and I know, I know I've got issues to work through. I know I can be judgy. I know I am only human. And I pretty much have been an open book. And I know when I want to talk about things and what I want to talk about and who my intentions are to reach and that is it anybody who chooses to listen and uh, I want and I choose to be honest and open and real and raw about how I'm feeling and what I've been through and hopes that you go I can relate to this you know I, somebody gets it because for me when I'm watching another person's content, like on YouTube, I can't relate to it. Mostly because I do not club, you know, like other girls. I don't wear those same kind of outfits. I don't wear makeup every day. And I don't have a boyfriend or a husband or anything. So it's kind of like, mm, can't relate. Um, or they talk about things and I'm sitting here like, nobody can really relate to that because that pertains to like the world in which you work your circle so these candles came out and I'm sitting here going you know I'll listen to them you hear it and you go what kind of shenanigans could a youtuber and then you realize uh when you're on a social media sphere 
platform, whatever it is, and people are watching, the public is watching you, they're listening to you, yeah, you can get in trouble. You can lose your respect just just like that. Just like that. Snap of snap of snap of a finger. And there's just there's Uber like that, that there that I absolutely have zero respect for. Like to me, they're just not good people. And and I'm raised in the Christian faith, which is that the only person who gets to judge is God. But you have your own compass in your own intuition and you know when you meet people they kind of just give up off a vibe that they're a good person or they're not and like some people i see them and it just blows my mind that they have all of this profit from their makeup line i'm like they ever thought about giving it back yeah no donating your PR kits or your makeup palette you used once? No. Like, what about a charity? What about making your own foundation or something? Support people who maybe want to work in social media. Like, do you have the platform. You built the followers. They do something super positive with it. Not just the same repetitive I'm doing a routine with this brand's palette or this brand just sent me this PR kit or I'm doing a day in the life or what I eat in a day or whatever you know some people that may find that content entertaining um for me I was just actually just watching one because because I did ballet and I was you know I've kind of been curious what would I've been in for had I went that professional route. So so now I'm saying I'm curious, okay, what is it like in a professional dancer's day? And having these platforms has allowed me to see what these professional dancers do. And it may not be what every professional dancer does, but enough to be like, yeah, no, I would not have survived. That would definitely not have been the life for me. But it works for them. Um I me, I know that I will never be a beauty influencer. What is that? Because that would require me to, like, just, hmm, be the influencer, I don't know, or influencer. At least not in the sense of pushing products. My influence is that I want to push positive, not push, but influence positivity, influence good, influence change, respect, self-love. Influence you to trust yourself and know yourself, trust your instincts, and figure out who you are, you know, no matter where in the world you are. Um, and I don't need a product to do that. I don't need. All I need is some willing ears. And you may agree with me, and that's awesome. And if you don't, you know, I'm interested to hear your point of view, you know. You know, I'm, because, you know, I'm open to everyone's, their, their thoughts. My only thing is, if you're going to be nasty, if you're going to be negative, if you're going to be disgusting, then I don't want to hear it. I don't got time for that. Um, but you want to have an intellectual conversation. You want to exchange thoughts and processes. You have ideas for what I could do for an episode. 
I am all yours. Um, and I was thinking about that before I started doing this was what is my intentions? What's my goals? And my goals was I wanted to be something that I felt like wasn't there. And that was a place where they could just hear somebody tell them that it's okay. Because maybe that's all they need to hear today is that it's okay. And a place that maybe they can hear an opinion on the different side of things. Or hear that they're not the only person going through chronic illness or mental health or both at the same time. And uh, how just one person deals with it. And telling them that, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's a lot of balls in there. But you know what? If you figure out what works for you and you do that. And you do you. And um, oh man, if I can just help one person, like be the person that I wish there was for me when I was in high school and I was in middle school and I was even as a young adult, just like that would be everything. I would ugh, be a happy camper. Um, but as it is with this particular app that I use, Communicating with y'all has been an issue, and I am trying to find a way uh, to bridge that communication gap. And as soon as I do, I will link it in one of the more recent uh, episodes. Um, the other thing else that I don't do is I don't edit these. Not that I can go get software and edit it, but then it to me it loses its realness and its rawness. Everything is literally one take, um, unscripted. It's really literally the title, Life Unscripted, because it is literally, I sit down and I'm, I talk to you from my mind and my heart and my soul, and I tell you what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling, and maybe it's funny, and maybe it's real life, maybe it's real, real life, and um, maybe it's not. And maybe it's just me feeling like, you know what? I feel like the world today just needs to know it's okay. And I was feeling that today, that the world just needs to know it's okay. We're going to be okay. It's been a rough year. It's been hellish. It's been just a crazy, crazy year. Here, it's been flipped upside down, backwards, sideways, in every way possible. We're drop-kicked into living, uh, we are drawn into literally a world that we have, we are figuring out as we go. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it is we are literally getting information as we go and figuring out how to make and adapt and learn as we go kind of a situation here. And so far, it seems that we've had to figure out how to do everything the wrong way in order to do it the right way. So, at least in my country, it seems that that is the situation. But sometimes people have to learn things the hard way or the wrong way before they figure out how to do it the right way. Now, if you're in chronic illness, you've been doing masks and hand sanitizer and all that for years. So this has been like, well, this is, this is nothing new to me, except for the fact that there's a virus. 
that's mutated. And I remember seeing the news that there was a strain of COVID that mutated. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. Um, because, like, the second that my asthma flares up, I'm like, is this asthma? Like, what? Because the asthma symptoms are so much like COVID symptoms that it's like, oh, can't go anywhere. But I purposely, just because I did get a steroid shot and everything, have been choosing to stay home. Um, and uh, I would do, again, I guess, maybe I can throw it in quickly, but uh, because I think my whole life from sinus, the sinus stuff, been on some sort of antibiotic, uh, my thoughts, just because everybody wonders where their sense is on this, but my thoughts is if you need it to function, it's one thing. If you are desperately sick and the antibiotic is gonna help you get better, okay. But I also feel like your immune system needs a chance to do what immune systems do and that's to fight bugs, viruses. And I feel like if you're constantly, you know, and I think it's easy to assume, oh, it's bacterial, here's the antibiotic, but then your gut gets all tore up in the process. And it's like, but what if this wasn't bacterial to begin with and it was viral and viruses, Really, it's you wait it out till it goes away. It's all you can really do is buckle up and ride that puppy out. And um, I was kind of like packing up, going, "Geez!" Like every time I turn around, they're just like, "Here, here's like ten days of antibiotics." And I wouldn't think twice about it. I'm like, sure. And my mind thinking has changed. Is like, if I feel like I'm at the place where I need antibiotics then, okay, I have probiotic, I know that I can take, you know, it's Gucci, whatever. But I feel like I want to give my body and my immune system a chance to do what it, it's designed to do first. And um, it might get rough, real, real rough, but uh, I want to know that my, be in my body a chance first. And then bring in the heavier, heavier artillery if that doesn't work. But... Um, work, which, um, me is because I've been wanting to heal my gut. I've been wanting to not. And so it's kind of been something with my whole medical team is kind of established that basically my gut is wrecked from the, all the antibiotics and to avoid them as much as possible if it can be avoided. If it can't be avoided, that's one thing. But if it can be avoided, if we can just let my body work this out for itself, then that is the preferred route. And yeah, might be miserable longer, but you know what? And it kind of works. Um, but I do keep the I do keep antibiotics on hand in case I need them, and I do keep steroids. That's the one thing. That I love about my pulmonologist is that he's like, I don't want you to have to wait till you're worse to have to go to the hospital to get medicine or to wait till we can get you in. I said, like, I'd rather you have this on hand. So if you get symptomatic, you can go ahead and start them if you feel like you need them and you're not having to wait for a prescription to get called in. And I'm like, why can't all the doctors think like this logically? Like, so I keep on hand and, um, but a lot of the times, what I'll do is if I'm feeling some demand again, I know it's been a few days, I know if I wait longer, I'm just going to get worse. So I'll just call them and they get me in right away. 
and usually end up with a steroid shot. So, um, now are all my doctors that awesome? No. And that's why I've kind of decided with 2021, uh, that I want to make it a point to give even better medical care. And that starts with making a few changes on the team. Uh, um, I've realized to get the care you deserve, you have to fight for it. And you know exactly what you deserve and you know when you're not getting it. And um, I'm going to do it. Because I'm, I am not the type of person, especially with having so many chronic illnesses, that is just going to sit there and be spoon-fed stuff. Especially when they want to prescribe me something. And then they don't really want to tell me the side effects, especially if I ask. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I am not that naive. Not pulling the wool over my eyes. And I will do my research. I will literally, by the time I'm in, getting in the car, because with my chronic illness these days, my blood pressure drops. I haven't really been able to drive. Cars, uh, not in proper working order anyway. But uh, I'm literally researching what they want to put me on. And I can usually find about three seconds a good reason uh, to not take it. And then they'll see me and they'll be like, oh, how's it going on the medicine? And I'll be like, nope, didn't take it. Um, oh, why? Why? Because I did my research or I called my other doctor because if it had a lot of cardio side effects. And then let me know. And I'll be like, is it safe for me, you know, cardiac-wise to take this? Um, and something because it depends but most of the time I'm like no I will survive you know I will I can deal with that um and it was just one of those things that I was like there has to be a way to cut through some of this like keep what I absolutely need get rid of what I don't need and um so I keep literally a bin of the stuff that I take every day or that I would need in a medical emergent situation and backups or extras I have in a separate bin. Um, that includes the, in case of exacerbation steroids, that includes antibiotics, that includes um, backup rescue inhalers, which my dog has chewed through two of. Thank you very much, Bear. And um, I also keep in my bin a pulse ox. I keep, um, I usually keep up here an extension tubing and a syringe and I keep Benadryl because my allergic reactions are at the point where um, I need to be able to get to it quickly. So for me to keep it on the top of the pile, uh, but my goal is to be more organized with medical stuff and have more proper organization of medical stuff even though I pretty much have all of it memorized. So for me, um, I kind of get a little chuckle and say, bring all your medicine in a bag. And I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. I have it memorized or I put it in my phone and then it happened. It's simpler that way. Or when they go, do you know what chronic illness thing? It's like, you, you'll get this if you have chronic illness. But when they ask you the question, do you know what medicine you take? Mm, yeah. Considering I've taken the same one for years. Yeah. Yeah, I know what I take, I know when I take it, and I know the dosage of what I take. Actually, you know, I have it on a handy app, too. 
and I could go through the list really fast. And then they start going through things. Do you still take this? And I'm like, I don't take like this. Um, it's just like, no, don't, don't take that or that or that. Um, because a lot of my doctors are in the same system. So whenever they prescribe something, it goes in and then they assume I'm still on it and I have to go, no, not on that. And I've definitely learned to be more vocal um, about what I, I wouldn't say what I want, but what I think needs to happen in my procedures to get the best medical care or have the most successful, I call it the calm, I would say a calm and peaceful procedure. <laughs> um, and my anxiety is pretty hard to control with medication, especially when it is already uh, sky high because of the fact that I'm going to procedure, it kicks into like super anxious mode. And uh, I tell them that. Um, because I'm nothing by mouth, I can't really pre-medicate and take anti-anxiety medication to sort of help quell, quell that. So, um, yeah, that's the other thing, too, is uh, I'm pretty good about being vocal about what I need, knowing who's the advocate, um, and all that stuff. So... But that's like one of the things I definitely want to work on is being better organized with all of the medical stuff. Um, and like I said, I like having these bins. They are Systema is the brand, but they have two separate layers. So I just keep everything I take on a daily basis on the top and everything uh, that doesn't fit on the top on the bottom. Um, are things that I know I'm going to need to get to. So I have a whole bin that is just literally for nothing but feeding tube related stuff. So that's a couple of bags for the pump, uh, creams and cleaning stuff, and uh, Q-tips. I also keep my formula. Um, oh, and that's the other thing is my gut is so wrecked, I cannot take an adult enteral formula. Uh, I take... Um, a hypoallergenic formula that is toddler. It's called Pyramino Junior. Um, but I also use the Pyramino, which is the baby one. It has iron in it. Um, and what it is, it's an elemental formula. It is completely broken down so my body doesn't have to work so hard to digest it. So basically, kind of starting from the bottom. <laughs> um, but I've noticed it way different. Um, intolerance um, and symptoms as far as running the feeds um, I can like bolus feed with this formula which has been really good because um, it gives me a level of freedom to not constantly have to be attached to a pump so yes the only thing with this is because our powders the hang time is significantly shorter than a pre-mixed formula but you know what? make it work um, if you're a chronic fill and you have a feeding tube, you also have a preference on pumps. You probably try multiple. Here, uh, at least in the States, I know that there's only two options. There is the Infinity Pump, and there is the Kangaroo Joey Pump. Um, and the first pump I ever had was Kangaroo Joey Pump, and I used the feed and flush system for it, which is two bags. And then there was a whole back order. So, or at least that's what I was told for a year. And I just was able to start using my Joey pump again. So I will be shipping back my, oh, 
pump soon because that pump just don't work for me. Because I have so many, yes, the Kangaroo Dre pump is heavier, but it has more options um, than the Infinity pump. I found the Infinity pump to be a little bit frustrating. I feel like maybe it might be good if it, you're using it for a kid. It would be like perfect size. But when you're like uh, older than that and you can do your own pump or maybe your requirements through the pump are a little bit more, you're going to need to pump a little bit more workhorse, workhorse to it. Um, and I need a pump that can do all the things. So handy dandy kangaroo joy pump uh, has like all kinds of features and basically it's everything I need in a pump. Um, now, would it be cool if it was lightweight as the Infinity? Yes. But would it have all the features? I doubt it. So, um, that I could see doing product. If somebody wanted to, uh, send me a pump to review, <laughs> I could do that. I'd be like, so, because I can definitely do a review on the pumps that I use. I'm actually running out of time again, but you kind of know where I stand. I love my Kangaroo Joy pump and I love having a button too. So, um, anyway, um, I'm going to call that, uh, an episode and I hope you liked it. Um, and if you have any ideas, I look forward to hearing them and hopefully in 2021, we have communication where I can hear from you guys finally. So I'm really excited for that. And for all of the 200 plus people who have listened, I appreciate your listening and uh, I hope everybody has a happy new year and 2021 is a lot less crazy than 2020. We will see. We only got one more day left. We did it, people. We did it. We made it through this year. Can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? We did it. So, one more year. And I know probably you celebrate like crazy, but be responsible. Don't go in the party thing and start making a COVID super group and all that kind of stuff. Don't do that. The only kind of super groups we want are bands, not super spreaders. No super spreaders. I know they're uncomfortable and they're hard to breathe in, but wear your mask. Because there's people with chronic illness out there, people with who have susceptible immune systems who do like to get out. And uh, we would like very much not to get sick. So uh, wear your mask. You can get tons of cute, adorable ones uh, on Amazon. And uh, wash your hands. Don't be touching your face. You know the stuff. And I will talk to you guys soon, friends. I love you.